Good evening. Well, since I'm not speaking on missions, my favorite topic, at least I show you a three and a half minute video about what we do. Anybody want to come to Granada? In that video, it just happened to be in that video, you saw at least nine given years. And I told you last night that we've had over 22. And so we could not do what we do in Granada, Spain without giving years. So if you're at all interested in, in, in God maybe working on your heart, please talk to me sometime this weekend. And I would just say in a grander issue, part of my job is my wife and I are, are church planners, Chi Alpha people in Spain. We're also part of the Europe leadership team. One thing we've been working on the past three years is to help the, the American church, to help Chi Alpha understand that there is a whole people's block called the secular peoples. Just like we have a passion for Muslim peoples and Hindu peoples, and there are unreached peoples groups in those places, there also are secular peoples, probably around 800 million of them, that have, gone, have not been talked about when we talk about missions. They may not look exotic, they may even have some money, they're not poor, but they've never heard the name of Jesus Christ. And so, we believe that some of you are going to be sent to Muslim people, some of you are going to be sent to Hindus peoples. But I believe there are people in this room tonight who also hear a specific call to reaching the secular peoples of our world, and perhaps will come and join us in Granada, Spain. Well... We've been talking about the kingdom of God, and we're talking about giving ourselves four phrases. We're going to speak on three, but four phrases that help us understand the nature of kingdom life. Last night, we talked about inside out. That the kingdom of God begins with the heart. The transformation begins there. But, and it's the love of Christ that Paul prays. His most important prayer for us is that we would know the love of Christ because it all begins there. And we respond to that love, repenting of sin and of self. We cannot fix ourselves. And then we must prioritize Christ. We must prioritize the interior life, this life we have in Jesus, setting aside all distractions for the sake of knowing Him. And here's a little director's cut from last night, all right? Oh, by the way, I have no idea what's happening in that dance office. So I'm a little confused right now. I just got to admit it. So I'm just kind of working a little bit here. I'll find my way. I'm also very concerned about all the homes that don't have windows that in the really cold winter. Is anyone worried about that? Or is that just me? Like, you people fringing a curtain waving in the wind? Was that just me? Is anybody else? Dan? Okay. So, anyway. Little director's cut here. In talking about the inside-out life, I'm very aware and concerned that that can be misinterpreted in light of some cultural values that we have. And let me explain that. In our modern, contemporary, postmodern world, we've learned to separate the spirit from matter. For all you theologians, this is Gnosticism, right? Yeah, all three of you. <laughs> Thanks, Dan. I get it from Dan. Like, yeah, I know that. <laughs> That's the fancy word for it. But here's the, here's the reality. We tend to talk in our broader culture about things like this. I'm not the, normally the type of person who lies. 
that's not who I am. All these sexual harassment, that's not who I want to be, that's not who I am. That is, if you get it, that's who you are. So, when we're talking about the interior life, we're not talking about some abstraction of this real me on the inside, and the outside is unrelated. And we do this in our Christianity, in our contemporary evangelicalism. We kind of have escapist spirituality that only talks about, man, just me and Jesus. Well, yeah, I get to what you're saying. But I see a tendency, particularly of those of us in the Pentecostal charismatic world, there's kind of an escapist spirituality that denies that real life is spiritual. We want to escape to conferences. We want to pray for 24 hours because God forbid we have to live in the real world. See, this attentiveness and stillness, paying attention to the interior life, we must believe it happens as much in the classroom as it does in a chapel. This is not an avoidance of real life, this interior life. It's where understanding that the drive of our heart, the transformation happens there, but it's lived in a real, tangible world. We've done escapist Christianity in church history before. It doesn't go well. And so I wanted to give that kind of a caution that we're talking about the inside out life. It's just that the transformation begins inside, but it's directly related to your day to day living in a real world with real responsibilities. So just that's the director's cut. But tonight we're going to talk about the upside down life. The life of service. And the life of humility. I gotta tell the story. So again, something now. Yeah. I feel a little weird even talking about this, but I spoke at the World Vision Summit. Okay, so it was pretty cool. Um, and I've never been asked to be speaking anything very important at all. Uh, I don't know who canceled, you know exactly. But I was so humbled when when the leadership team, Scott, and everybody there asked me. Um, so this is a big deal. I'm not gonna lie. You know, makes you feel good to be appreciated now and again. <laughs> but you know, it's also quite a burden, quite honestly, because all your friends are out there. See, my two worlds collide at World Mission Summit. I'm a Kyoto guy, and I'm a world missionary. And so all my friends and all the people I respect are in one room, let alone another 5,000 people who I want to impress. <laughs> right? So it's a big deal. So we're just talking about humility. So after I spoke, and, and I felt the Lord helped me, and and people were saying positive things, so it feels good, I'll be honest, it feels good. And um, I'm walking down the hallway, how many were there by the way, the percentage was? No. Alright, okay, and the rest of you can say it later. <laughs> Alright. So anyway, I'm walking down the hallway, it's one of the rare moments when there's just about three people in the concourse. And I... Again, it's so funny being on this side, the big time speaking now, you know, it's so funny because people look at you weird, like, hey, Sean, yeah? You know, it's like, man, you know, whatever. So I see this one kind of guy, I have no, I hope he's not in the room. I, I, I should have thought that through, but you know, I'm like, now I'm worried. But anyway, so we're walking along and you get, you get this, like, is that the guy? 
you know, I saw up on the screen, you know, you're kind of getting one of these kind of numbers. And you're trying to, like, all humility, you know, I'm just a guy like you, you know, and you're kind of trying to not get yes, you know. It's, it's kind of a weird moment. I've never had this happen to me because, I, I, again, I've never spoken to anything, like, larger than four people, it feels like. You might, people, you know, you're like, plant a church, and, yeah, my family goes, you know. It's hard, you know. So, I'm doing this whole thing. And eventually this guy, young man, comes over to me. He was so nice, okay? So I'm not making fun of him at all. It just was a very awkward... Anyway, he comes over to me and goes, Dude, you're one of the speakers. Yeah. He goes, man, what you said changed my life. Well, that's, that's humbling. And, you know, but you also, you worked and you hope you for that to happen. So also, thank you so much. And then he says... What'd you say again? <laughs> and I said, well, so it kind of knocks me down a notch. I was so good, he had no idea what I said. But... And I said, well, I'm obligated, I'm eager, I'm unashamed. He goes, oh yeah, no, you're not the guy. <laughs> church makes a bigger deal about Christmas than they do Easter. You know, you can't really separate the two that much, but I like it because I said if he became God, became flesh, everything else is gravy. They don't actually put those words in it, but they say the incarnation, when God made himself human, all bets are off because he humbled himself. And this is what the upside down world is. The world, we do it differently, don't we? We climb over people and up the ladder. But Jesus has shown us that the way to real life is a life of humble servitude. Open your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2. Read the fundamental description of the, the theology of the incarnation. Some passages are so wonderful, you almost hesitant to even preach on them. But again, if there's something I want my son to understand is that this is our Jesus. And the life of service 
is where real life lies. All the questions of vocation and career are vital. We want to find our particular place. But service applies everywhere, in all locations, in all callings. And Jesus has modeled this for us. Philippians chapter 2, starting in verse 1. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and one in mind. Do nothing. That's powerful. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. What if we lived this? Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interest of others. In your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. By taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth, in case you didn't think that was significant enough, under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. May God bless his word. Well, what did you want to be when you grew up? Are you growing up? I don't know if I was that question. We all go through different stages. At one point, I wanted to be a soccer player. Didn't work out. Actually, it wasn't too bad. So it didn't work out. Then I went through a phase where I wanted to be a fighter pilot. I think Top Gun came out <laughs> at a very formative period in my life. I wanted a bomber jacket, a little fur right here, you know, whatever that is, fuzz. I don't know what that's made of. So I had a bomber jacket, got my hair high and tight. That's what we called it back then. Now I just call it bald. You know, it's like. <laughs> I was going to fly an F-15. Um, didn't work out. Various reasons. I don't really like to fly. <laughs> I have no capacity for it. Nor do I have the discipline to be in the military. So I went into missions. <laughs> anyway. We all have dreams. What we want to be, we look back and some of them seem silly. I've never once in my life heard somebody, I want to grow up and be a servant. You know, go with it. You want to what? But our primary position in life 
as a Christian is servant. We need servant engineers, servant teachers, servant spouses, servant janitors, servant pastors. Every Christian job title starts with servant. Every role you take is servant because that's upside down living. And in the incarnation, we see Jesus not theoretically serving, but becoming a servant. This world says, get ahead, make a bucket list, fulfill your dreams. But Jesus says, lose your life, love your enemies, and take up a cross. Jesus, go, his way of going about the kingdom is upside down. The text says he took the form of a servant. He took on humanness for our sake. The God of all eternity squeezed himself, squeezed his greatness into human form. He, the wisdom of eternity, the omniscient one, had to learn to walk and talk. He who sees everywhere and is everywhere was restricted to one physical place, being born in a limited speeding trough. The word that created the universe could only cry for milk. The king, a servant, the God who washes feet, the God who dies for enemies. This is our Jesus. This is how he does kingdom. The first challenge to living the service life is we prefer rights over responsibilities. Verse 6 again. Jesus, being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Jesus chose responsibilities over rights. I am God. I mean, if you are God, the one thing you can do is to take advantage of your godness. If there's anyone who should be allowed that, it is God. But he said, no, I have determined that service and the putting down of my rights to become human is more me than maintaining my omniscience. My omnipotence, my omnipresence. But our world teaches us so much of the opposite. We want to our rights, hyper individualism of our culture, the self-focused life. That's what we're trained to do. And I'm not blaming you or me. This is just the way we grow up. Like every culture is selfish, by the way. We just have a particular version of it. Societal changes technologically, they've taught us by targeting so specifically what you know your desires and wants and needs. Man, it's freaky when you go on and you search one time at Christmas for like socks, and then the ads you get for socks over the next week. You don't have to listen to music that you don't like. You don't have to interact with people you don't aren't like. That's what our society has trained us. It trains us to focus on our own interests. That's literally the opposite of the text. The way we do families have trained us in ways that are not helpful 
I'm still shocked. And again, this is not a criticism of you all, but it's the reality that most of you now grew up eating by yourselves. At your own time and your own foods. Because we do family different. Again, it's trained to be a group of one. I read an article that said millennials have fewer friends, are involved in fewer activities, but also have greater depression than previous generations. They're related to each other. But we're so taught to get what we want, our rights, our privileges, our preferences. I have a younger brother. He's a good guy. Um, you know, he's safe and stuff. <laughs> but when we were kids, I had a very... I'm not a super organized person, but I got things that are important to me, like food. <laughs> I, I believe in the breakfast sandwich. Amen. Come on. <laughs> Back in, the, in, in high school, like I said, I was really involved in sports, and, and believe it or not, believe it or not, I played basketball. Yeah, by the way, totally extra here. In Spain, I'm not short. <laughs> and and the average Spaniard is not good at basketball. We got a basketball court right in my patio of our apartment building. For the first time in my life, I go down on the block and say, baby, give me the rock. <laughs> I can pose those short Spaniards who know nothing about basketball all day. <laughs> But anyway, I was, that had nothing, I just came to my mind, but anyway, we're talking about, so I was in sports, I was eating a lot, you know, I could stay thin, and, but every morning I had a routine, and I woke up at 6.44, because 6.43 was too early, 6.45 would be late to school, 6.44, ultimate sleep, okay, 6.44, I had a perfectly timed, I did microwave egg McMuffins. Muffin goes and toaster egg is like a minute and a half, I think. American cheese halfway through, boom. And I worked it out. It was brilliant. I could do it so fast. Shower, boom, 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 bam. So I, I mean, I had not a moment to spare. Well, one day my younger brother gets up a little late. He had his own system. I was just about to take a bite out of my wonderful sandwich. My mother looks at my younger brother. Baby. And she says, you know, your brothers are running a little late. Why don't you give them half of your sandwich? I don't know what happened. But all of the me, I've labored over this sandwich. You know what I mean? Like, I get up at 6.44 every morning. This is I cut the sandwich in half, and my brother's a little bit of a germaphobe. Oh. And so I handed the sandwich to my half of the sandwich to my brother and squished it in my hand and said, Here's your sandwich. <laughs> Knowing my brother's a germaphobe, because I can't eat that well, I will, you know. <laughs> you and I love ourselves, and we will look to our own interests. We all have our egg sandwich issues. 
mean, think about that. It's a sandwich. But there is something in my sinful human heart that says, it is mine, I want it, I deserve it. And we live our lives focusing on our rights. What can I get out of this situation? I deserve the best. Like a child who brings all their toys together and says, mine. But Jesus says, I want you to look to the interests of others. But it's not fair. It's not fair. I earned this job. I got this school. I did what, It's not fair. I've, I've arranged my life. It's not fair. And let me tell you something. The gospel is not fair. The gospel is not fair. The kingdom of God doesn't operate on fairness. America tries to, but that's not gospel. Matthew 20, you don't need to turn there, is the parable of the vineyard workers. It's probably the most disturbing parable for the American context. Why is that? The vineyard worker hires some people in the morning, sometimes people at noon, some just before closing time. At the end of the day, he pays them all the same. And one of the most disturbing parables... Because the, the guys hired worked all day, they got a fair wage. They weren't ripped off, but they thought, I deserve more. I, I demand my rights. And the vineyard worker says, isn't it my right to do as I see fit? And that's how the parable ends. Because here's the issue. God is not fair. If he were fair, we get death. That's fairness. But the gospel is not about fairness. Rights focus on fairness. Responsibilities focus on grace and mercy. That is our responsibility to the world. That we live not with the bare minimum of fairness. Of making sure our rights are covered and whatever is extra we give out. That has nothing to do with service. Here's the good news. Every single one of you is qualified for service. It's the only position and job where everyone is equally qualified. There's no need for certification or degree to serve. You just take up responsibilities and give up rights. I have a little pastoral concern. There's a big sense of lostness. Sometimes we have so many options, and not just work options and vocational options, but even in, now you've got to consider ministry, and now you've got to missions. you get all these things, and we get so paralyzed. We have, like, purpose paralyzation. What am I supposed to do? Ah, ah, frantically finding God's will for your life. Here is God's will. Serve. Yeah, come on. Serve. If you are honestly giving up your rights and taking up gospel responsibility, your particular vocation will come clear. But if you're busy walking around paralyzed by the decision 
You're focused on yourself. And you probably won't hear very clearly from the Lord. Serve. Here's the wonderful issue. When you find purpose of service, you find joy. But this is no easy task to give up your rights. But Jesus taught it over and over again. Turn the other cheek. If somebody asks you for your outside coat, give them your inside coat. If someone asks you to walk a mile, go two. This is about loving your enemy. This thing flies in the way of fairness. I gotta walk an extra mile with this Roman who has conquered us? What if God had decided to live by his rights? But he didn't. He did not consider equality with God something to be used for his own advantage. So much of our social and relational problems come from the pursuit of rights, and they keep us from active service. The political, the race issues, all the things that we're struggling with in the United States, part of my concern is that we become us versus them in every situation, demanding our rights. We have no time to work towards solutions through service. You see, rights vilifies the other. Righteousness serves the other. What right are you demanding in your life is keeping you from a life of service? Right to be safe? And I can never go to that place. A right for your reputation? A right to a comfortable lifestyle? A right to being perceived as cool. Sometimes in our Christian world, I've actually encountered people who got into missions because it seemed like they would be raised in people's eyes. So we can even Christianize this thing. All my Catholic thinks missions is cool, so I'll be a missionary. But giving up the right to reputation. You need to give up the right that no one messes up your life. The inconvenience of getting involved with an emotionally needy person. What right keeps you and me from service? Second challenge to living the upside down life is we prefer self-service versus self-sacrifice. Verse 7. He made himself nothing. God, who was everything, made himself nothing. The text expresses that he emptied himself. Probably my favorite hymn. Emptied himself of all but love. 
and canopy. He emptied himself, taking on the nature of a servant. And what kind of life did that lead him to? Death. Sacrificial death. We perfected the humble brag, haven't we? We've all probably even commented on this before, but it's amazing how many posts, pictures, everything we put up that shows us serving the homeless, the needy. Your service is not a selfie. Come on. Yeah. Yes. I, you can imagine our Jesus. The night he was betrayed, the night he was going to head towards the cross, washing the disciples' feet. He's like, just like you guys. <laughs> me, me washing feet. <laughs> Instagram, what filter are you using on that, Jesus? <laughs> but think about it. Jesus talks often about secrecy. And service and secrecy, secrecy are related to one another. But we're so concerned that even our charitable activity is known that we undermine the principle of service. The world needs people who serve in secret. I mean, who are you trying to please anyway? God? Or is it just a way to make us feel good? And of course, you do feel good when you serve, because it's right. But I'm pleading with you. Learn secrecy. Service is not a project. It's a posture. Service is not an activity you check off your list. I showered, I shaved, did my homework, I served. Done. It's a disposition. It's a posture. Service is the active and aggressive gift of putting others first. It's the denying of self. Service is not about you. So don't make it about you. I was a young college student. had no money. Anybody else? <laughs> By the way, you'll have less later. Woo! Oh, okay. I, was a, I think I mentioned I, was, I actually went to a Christian college. I was preparing for ministry. And I was escorting a friend of mine who graduated to his new ministry position at a big, big Chicago church. And I was going, and I had no money, and I was helping him drive his car and his stuff there, or whatever. And the, the pastor, this big-time church, he invites this new staff member out to dinner. And he said, well, bring along that Bible college student. I love Bible college students. I know, whatever. And then he takes out this meal. And I, I, you know, my dad had taught me right, but he always offered to pay for your meal, right? That's what you do. That's good manners. But I also knew 
that a big time pastor is going to pay for a poor Bible college student. So I borrowed five bucks from the friend I took me because I didn't have it, so I could offer five bucks. And I remember after this big, big meal, the pastor says, well, let me get the check. I was like, no, no, pastor, let me pay. He goes, okay, bam. And the Lord spoke to me and said, who are you doing that for? See, we do a lot of charitable things, nice things, and we just we do it for ourselves to fulfill some value that we've been taught that's good in our Christian world. But the bottom line is service is not a project. It's not an event. It is not about you. It is a posture, orientation that I don't deserve squat. And I will live open-handed for the sake of others. I read an article about the, I think it's endorphins, I don't know nothing about chemistry. It's some chemical in our body makes us happy. Dopamine, I don't know what it is. Right. Let me check. <laughs> I'm pretty mad, I know. Like somebody just said that, I know this one. <laughs> so we're not here, wasn't it? No? Alright. I read an article, whatever chemical it is. That when you think about doing a charitable act, 80% of that chemical is released in your body. In other words, even your body is against you in service. All you have is to think about that poor homeless person, that lonely person down the hallway, the international student. And we get enough chemical kick from thinking about it that we do not follow through. It's not about you. Push through to obedience. Service demands that we actually understand others and the situation. It's not just charitable stuff we just throw at the poor. Or it's not just gospel sharing that's more about you fulfilling your sense of need to preach the good news. We throw tracks, we throw shoes, we throw whatever we do at, at people. And then we like to dump and run. But service understands the complexities of poverty, the complexities of lostness, the complexities of the individual who's struggling and pushes through past dopamine or endorphins, whatever it is, all the way through to a long-term commitment. That's what service looks like. We cannot dump and run Performing charitable selfishness for our own self-worth. The world needs... Is this too hard? I'm, I'm just... I'm talking to myself. The world is too broken. There are too many lost people. We've had too much grace to keep it to ourselves. The world needs people who do not work at angle. People who will live without praise. Jesus said, even pagans love those who love them. Co-drives are not hard to do. Should we do them? Yes. They don't cost us anything. The psalmist says, I will not offer anything. 
that is not costing something. The service that Paul is writing to Philippians about, the service that Jesus demonstrates, is a day-to-day commitment to the life of the other. Man, we do service projects in our ministry. We do so, so much of that stuff. But I'm telling you, service is difficult when it has to be a relentless kindness to a spouse. Service is difficult. Real service happens when we have to treat someone with dignity whose views you consider odious. How do you talk about the other side of the aisle? How do you treat those who don't understand you? <coughs> service is forgiveness to the person who doesn't even know that's offended you. And you don't go and tell them, by the way. <laughs> you just forgive. I often wonder if Peter, the bold, crazy disciple, was cleaning up after a long day of preaching on the road. Older now, scarred. I wonder, in his older state, probably beaten up quite a bit, if he bent down to massage and wash his bruised feet. If he didn't remember the night he denied Jesus. <coughs> and no wonder if he didn't remember his God washing his dirty, denying And I wonder if he just couldn't get over the fact that God had served him. May we never get over the fact that Jesus gave up all his right, <coughs> sacrificed himself for our sake. And may we, by his grace and by the transformation of our hearts, become people who transform the world through service. Sacrificial service unleashes God's goodness in the world. Sacrificial service sees the deepest need and doesn't care whether it's noticed or not. Sacrificial service is the hidden work of active grace in a broken world. It's doing what is right and good and blessing others no matter what the response, no matter what attention comes to you, no matter what reaction you receive. It's doing the right thing from the right heart and it is always costly. And by the way, sacrifice is not about how painful it is to you. It's about how lavish the love is for the other. Can I have the worship team come up, please? What sacrifice is God asking you to make?
may be the things we've already talked about, a career plan, all those things. I'm talking even more tomorrow, <laughs> next week. What sacrifices, what rights do you lay down? What, what steps do you take to love the other this week, this month, this semester? Some of you, it's just walking across the stinking hallway and knocking on the door and talking to that person that irritates the snot out of you. That's a beginning. But as you begin to live that kind of life of sacrificial service, all of a sudden, purpose wells up in your heart. And all of a sudden, you begin to see the world differently. And all of a sudden, you begin to believe that the God who loves you, high, wide, deep, long, tall, that Jesus can take you places that you cannot imagine. But it starts with deciding, I will lay down my rights. I will sacrifice my interests because Jesus did for me. And I cannot. I mean, I'm a missionary, for goodness sake. Some of you do need to give up your cushy dreams and come and tell people who've never heard. Why not? It's not a guilt thing. Just some of you could be called and you need to say yes tonight. The bottom line is, do we honestly believe the life of servant, servanthood, is true life or not? It doesn't seem like it. We're so worried about the resources. Will it be enough for me emotionally, financially, if I give? Will I have enough recognition or will somebody else get the credit? What will people think of me? My parents. What will they think of me if I make these choices? What will my peers think? What will the crowd think? Stanley Jones, longtime missionary in India, said this. If we are going to be a bridge from people's indifference to Jesus to their spiritual awakening, we're going to be a bridge. We will be walked on. We will be walked on. We will kneel down like our master. Pick up the towel. Give up our rights. Sacrifice for Jesus. And thereby change our world. So again, my two main questions tonight is what right are you holding on to that is keeping you from service? I have to have this or, you know, whatever. 
I have to have, I cannot give this up. Let God speak to your heart right now. A relationship, position, a career plan. Just the freedom to do what you want to do on your own schedule. What is it? And the second question flows out of the first. What sacrifice? So if right is letting go of something, sacrifice is now taking up that responsibility. What do you need to do? What sacrifice is God asking you to make? I'm going to pray for us. And then I want you to find a place to pray. There's no one, as, as Scott said, I believe this morning, there's no one to whom this does not apply. And I want us to find a place of prayer. And I, this is a night for honest tears. Because it's going to be hard giving up some things. And God's going to ask some things that I wouldn't ask of you. For some of you. But do not leave this place till it's settled in your heart. I believe that Jesus is worth everything. So even as I begin to pray, if you want to move out, that's fine. Lord Jesus, incarnate word, we deserve nothing, and yet you've given us everything. I pray, give this Chi Alpha group, give this community the courage to let go of rights. To let go of the vision of fairness for their lives and instead pursue the sacrifice that is pleasing to you. Oh God, empty us of all but love. For the sake of a broken world. And for the glory of Jesus. Now speak Holy Spirit. Convict us of sin. Convince us of your goodness. In this holy moment, friends, I just ask you to... God will speak something to every one of the room. There's not one of us that has a right we're holding on to. Not, some, not one of us has something that we do not need to sacrifice for the Lord. Let him speak to you. Respond now to the, to the word of Jesus.